Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Main Street Preps podcast. I'm your host, Russell Venosi, and we appreciate you listening today. Our featured guest is CPA girls soccer coach Thomas Gerlach. His team is off to a great start this season after losing to BGA in the Division II single-A state title game last year. Coach Gerlach and I talk CPA soccer and the state of girls soccer in Middle Tennessee. After that, I make my picks for 10 of this week's most intriguing football matchups. I'm 22-7 and through the first three weeks, but there's a bunch of good games this Friday that could go either way, so we'll see how I hold up. Now, please bear with us as, as we get this podcast off the ground. We're working to get a music license to create a better intro, and it should be available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, uh, in addition to SoundCloud, pretty soon. We're crawling before we walk, but we'll get there, and we really appreciate your patience. As a reminder, we're keeping each of these shows to under 30 minutes, so let's get to it. We're joined now by CPA girls soccer coach Thomas Gerlach. His team is off to a 4-0-2 start so far this year. That's four wins, no losses, two ties. Uh, coach, thanks for joining the show today. Man, it is really great to be here. I appreciate you covering girls soccer here in Tennessee, man. Absolutely. And um, you guys are, are playing game number seven tonight. I know this summer is pretty uncertain that this, this season would happen on time or you know, if you get to play at all. Uh, how grateful are, are you to be here and kind of playing games mostly like normal? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I coached the guys team in the spring. So, you know, we, I remember, um, it was actually in August. I don't know if I've shared this story with you in August of last year. So not this year, last year, uh, we were doing a devotion with my girls and I, I, and one of the questions I asked them in their prayer groups is if you were to wake up tomorrow and you couldn't play soccer, uh, how would you react? And we, I was talking more from like maybe an injury standpoint, you know, you might've blown your ACL or had a severe injury and, you know, the girls are like, oh, I'd be devastated, or some of them are like, I just like the camaraderie. And, and we had a nice discussion of, you know, your identity in soccer. And it was more of a, if an injury happened, you know, how would you take it? And then fast forward to March, where literally that happened to the guys. Like, we were out in practice on a Wednesday. We had already had two games. We had heard about COVID kind of... Um, you know, it was kind of a rumor and we were, you know, we weren't shaking hands in games. We were doing a little protocol and then like my phone blew up and they're like, Hey, we're shutting it down. Uh, you know, cancel practice. Y'all need to go home. We're going remote learning. And it was like taken away from everyone in, in the blink of an eye. Like it was, it was really difficult. And, you know, we hung on to hope. We were hoping that maybe it would blow over, hoping that it would resolve itself. And then it never did. So like our senior night for the guys team was, we did a car parade, we masked up, we gave them their posters. And that was like the guys just, they never had that closure. They never were able to finish the season. And we were thinking, oh, this is this is going to be fine by, you know, August. We'll be back to normal and everything's good. And then the longer it went, the more kind of fear we had of, you know, what's, what's going to happen. And so, as you said, like the fact that we're out here, we're on to game seven, uh, this is huge. Uh, as much as it's uncomfortable and, and kind of difficult wearing masks, because we have followed really strict protocols, like the girls mask up. As soon as they get out of their cars, they mask up until we start our warm-ups. And even when they're on the sidelines, they're masking up. Just we want to follow the protocols and keep the team safe. Like, we want to have the season. And if that means we're going to be uncomfortable or if that means it's going to be an inconvenience, and so be it because we just want to play as much soccer as we can. So we're extremely happy to be going into game seven. And I can tell you, as you know, uh, you know, this date has been circled uh, for a long time against BGA. We actually moved the game up 
two weeks because we were just a little worried that, you know, it might be called the later we played the game, the, the higher the chances that, you know, something might be called off. Yeah, I was just about to ask you about that. Last year, you guys went 17-0, and and just, just to give people background, and lost to BGA in the state title game. Um, it was your first loss yeah. of the year. And we're recording this on a Thursday, and you're playing BGA tonight, and, and you get, like you said, you get to do it again in about two weeks. Um, what would a win in, in one or both of those games mean for CPA? So, you know, we, it, was, it was really hard. Uh, you know, we, were, we had had an uh, undefeated season the year we, we won it. Uh, we were 19-0-1, um, our one tie was against BGA. And so we had, they were like, ah, come on, you know, we wanted to overcome that. And then going into the state finals last year, we were 18-0, and and we were looking for a perfect uh, season. And, you know, BGA is a quality team. You know, Coach Morrissey, she really knows her soccer. They have some really uh, – great players on that squad and boy they played out of their minds that day uh and they had our number and you know losing 4-1 in the state finals leaves a really kind of bad taste in your mouth uh, and so our girls really kind of wanted kind of a, a chance for redemption uh, obviously the the game could go either way but you know when you lose that last game you lose that last game in the way that we did uh, we really wanted to, to face them again. So, like, our goal this year is, like, if we can play one game, we just want to get a chance at playing BGA uh, because they're they're a real big rival. Um, ironically, this is kind of a last year we'll, there will be a rival because we are getting moved up to uh, the Division Two big leagues uh, starting next year. Is that going to be for other sports too, or is it just soccer? So that's all sports but football. So uh, the TSSAA uh, kind of they came out with their new numbers for the classification. And since football has multiple classifications, it didn't affect football. So all of the other sports other than football will be moving up to, you know, playing against NBA and BA and, like, Briarcrest and, you know, Harvard Hall. So it's, it's going to be – it's really going to ramp up our, our district schedule. Yeah, that sounds that sounds like a tough schedule there. Um, but, it really, really does, especially when you're graduating nine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, for right now, you guys are playing really well. I mean, how um, how focused is your team on finishing the job this year and trying to get uh, redemption in the in the state tournament? Well, you know, we didn't uh, we didn't graduate a single varsity player last year, so we were bringing back every single player. Uh, and so this has been you know a team kind of four years in the making. Sylvie Keck played five years. You know, you have a uh, All-American caliber forward and, and Caroline Betts uh, playing up top. And then you have, you know, nine seniors who are really just rounding out the whole squad. And the younger players are really stepping up. Uh, they've really dedicated themselves to working out over the summer, uh, working out, getting their touches on the ball. So, you know, our goal, obviously, our, 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 our goal is to win championships. Our purpose is to reflect Christ in that. So, you know, winning is one thing, but winning with character, how you win is the more important thing. Because soccer is a finite sport. You know, we talked yesterday in uh, our post-practice meeting, like, hey, understand that, like, for some of you, you have basically six weeks of soccer left in your career. So you might not ever put on a uniform again. So if we're only focused on, you know, scoring goals, winning championships, uh, then we kind of... Uh, have missed the mark you know we want to train them young ladies and young men to be better you know wives better husbands better employees better employers and we want to focus on their character and their walk with the lord as we are a private school a christian school 
so that but we don't want to sacrifice one for the other. Uh, Mike Zigarelli wrote a book called The Messiah Method, which is talking about Messiah College in, in Pennsylvania. And we want to be a both-and program. Uh, we want to be competitive as well as, you know, focused on our character and our walk. You know, we want to compete but also do it with class. Uh, our girls have uh, won two years in a row the Pinnacle Award, which is a United Soccer Coaches Award, where I think only like 30 teams in the United States won it, where... You have to win uh, 75% of your games. You cannot get more than, like, three yellow cards in the season, and you have to have a team GPA of above a 3.5. And our girls had, like, a 3.98 combined GPA. We had, I think, three yellow cards in three years, and, you know, they made it to the state finals. I mean, they're 30, uh, I think they're, like, 47, one and one over the past uh, three years or something like that. So they're, they're doing kind of the they're the complete package and that just says a lot to their character says a lot to their parents says a lot to the school so it's really neat that they can aim for the aim for the stars but also it doesn't sacrifice the other things as well we're talking to cpa girls soccer coach thomas gerlach and uh coach you mentioned it there but you have the nice luxury of having caroline betts on your team um one of the most talented scorers in the state uh she already has nearly 150 goals and she's still got a season left uh what makes her so dangerous up top you know, she's. I've coached two players in my like 32 seasons. Uh, Brandon Tarr uh, was at CAK. He played on the U17 national team, and he had just a nose for the goal. And and Caroline Betts is, is the same way. Uh, she has great uh, great hesitation moves. She's really quick. She's fast. She can do a left or right foot. She can just she can just kind of. She does things without thinking that, that we sit here and just go, how in the world did she do that? Um, but beyond that, she's one of the most humble, coachable young ladies you'll ever meet. Um, most players that are at that caliber, uh, they have kind of a, a difficult, it's a difficult time to coach them. But she is such a blessing to have on the team. You know, she scored her 100th goal in her sophomore year, and the, the first thing she said to the interviewers were, you know, uh, I got 100 goals, but that meant that my teammates passed me 100 times. So, like, she tried to give that praise. She tried to give that, share that accolade with her teammates, realizing it takes more than me to win the game. Um, so, I mean, having a, a dynamic player like that up front is huge. Uh, and beyond that is, you know, having another player like Emmeline Bartlett or, like, uh, Caroline Moore, who, because you don't want to be a one-threat or a one-hit wonder. You want to be able to spread that out. So, you know, like, uh, Emmeline Bartlett has scored, you know, in the state semifinals two years in a row, Caroline Avenger, Caroline Moore. So, like, we want – you love having a player like that, but it's great to have other players that are scoring those goals as well. And, you know, we'd love for, for Betts to, to break the Tennessee state record, but that's not necessarily our goal in that. Uh, it would be kind of a, a, you know, a topping on the cake, as it were. But, you know, she just wants to win for her teammates. She, she loves her team. She loves playing well, for her high school. And, and, you know, we're just really excited to have her for another two years. And as much as your offense probably draws some of the headlines, uh, your defense is, is pretty solid, too, only giving up two goals so far this season. Um, tell me about their your defense. It seems like they're pretty tough to crack. Yeah, we actually, on senior night, we actually crunched some numbers. And so over the last four years, uh, we've scored 311 goals and given up, uh, uh, I think it's 39 total. Uh, in 2020, uh, we, we'd only given up two. Last year, going into the state finals, we had only given up six. 
Uh, and of course, we had a, a rough state finals where we gave up four goals. But you know, in the last two years, allowing I think it's like twelve goals total. It says a lot, not only about our goalkeeper, but about our back line. You know, Sylvie Keck is the Division One signee with uh, University of Tennessee Chattanooga, and then you have a really great, uh, you know, lineup there with Grayson Glisson and Lily Cooley on the outside. We have a sophomore young lady, Mary Wood, who's stepping in, uh, getting some starting time, and then Virginia Glisson, who is an All-State freshman, uh, sister of Grace Ann Glisson, who was a phenomenal basketball player. And, you know, she steps on the field as a defensive center mid, and those back six really lock things down. Um, and it's, it's a testament to the whole defensive strategy. Coach White really is in charge of that, and she does an amazing job on kind of making sure that they just don't even get the shots off. In some classifications, it seems like it can be difficult for, um, for Middle Tennessee teams to even make it to the state tournament. Um, I covered White House Heritage last year, and they lost to Central Magnet um, in penalty kicks in the sectional game, and, and both really looked like state caliber sides, uh, state tournament caliber sides. What do you make of the girls' soccer town in, in the mid-state and just how tough it can be uh, to make it to that state tournament, depending on uh, what classification you're in? Yeah, I remember when we were in, like, the Division One classification, and, you know, there's only two teams that come out of uh, each section. Uh, and there are some times that, like, you had four or five teams uh, come out of uh, that could – you know, be state caliber a level, but only two get to come out. And, you know, the Middle Tennessee region has had some really dominant teams. Uh, if you look across the board, in, in, even in public school, you know, you got Brentwood and Ravenwood and Franklin historically, you know, Father Ryan, JP2 on the big ones. Ensworth has made some really good runs. And then, you know, FRA and, and USN have had a great history. Uh, but, you, you, you know, BGA and CPA have kind of vied for it over the years. Uh, fortunately for us, like four teams from each uh, region get out to the west, middle, and east. So four from each of so 12 teams qualify for the state tournament. And then they kind of narrow down from there. So it's actually been pretty interesting because the west has had some really dominant teams in ECS and St. George's. Uh, USJ has a phenomenal uh, uh, sophomore forward, Morgan English. She actually just scored her 100th goal. Uh, as a sophomore against Houston of all teams, Houston is phenomenal. So it's kind of been spread out. You know, as, as you know, from year to year, it, it kind of ebbs and flows. Sometimes the East will be stronger, sometimes the middle. Right now it's kind of geared a little bit to the middle and West. Uh, but, you know, next year it could be the East when you have, you know, teams like Boyd Buchanan who are young or CAK or even, you know, uh, Knox Grace has, has made some noise. They all kind of qualify for the state tournament. So it's, I love the fact that girls' soccer, just over the last you know five to ten years, has really started making noise, uh, even on a even on a uh, national scale. I know that Houston and Briarcrest have been nationally ranked. Baylor is always phenomenal. Uh, so like, it's great to see that soccer as a whole has gotten better, uh, just across the board. So it's, I mean, it, that that shows the dedication to the sport and the fact that you know. That we're getting coverage in in the newspaper and on podcasts and on um, the internet, like that's awesome because <laughs> yeah. soccer is a huge sport here in Tennessee. Yeah, and I think we're we're starting to see that more and more. And of course, Nashville SC made its debut, its MLS debut this year. And I know um, COVID nineteen really messed up that season in a big way. So maybe they can have uh, right. some sort of relaunch next year. But anyways. Um, there was already a lot of soccer interest in the area, but what do you think adding a pro team like that can do for the sport here? Well, I mean, I think it's, I think 
think it's fantastic. You know, the, one of the best things that players can do is actually watch the game. And one of the best things to watch the game is having a team that you can cheer for and having a local team where you can go to the game live. You know, we, we went uh, as a team uh, a couple times. The guys went uh, once, the girls went twice, where we were able to go watch Nashville play uh, last year. We've also loved, it's great living in Nashville where you have like the national team. You know, we had the Gold Cup a couple years ago, that we had the, the She Believes Cup or the I Believe Cup where the U.S. women's national team came. Sometimes the national team, you know, trains at Lipscomb or different schools around here. So having soccer at such a high level here in your own home city is so great to kind of boost that boost that soccer as a whole. And a lot of our girls who are on the higher level, man, they're there at every single game. You know, they want to learn. They want to see it better. You know, it would be even better if we could even get a women's team here, which would be really elevate the girls' team and kind of make a conduit to that next level for them too. But – you know, it's also a blessing. We have, you know, Vanderbilt's women's soccer, Belmont's women's soccer. Uh, you know, Lipscomb has done phenomenal over the last couple of years. Uh, Treveca. So, like, it's so great that we have such a great level of soccer, not only in the high school, not only in the college, but also in the pros. It's a, it's a great city to live in. Yeah, it really, it really is a great time for the sport in the city, and uh, I'm a Lipscomb grad, so I got to see that team up close. And um, yeah, it's, it, <laughs> absolutely. And um, you know, hopefully, whenever fans get allowed back into the stands, hopefully we see a filled up uh, Nissan Stadium for MLS, and we can just keep growing the sport and everything here. But um, I, I, agree. I think that's all I've got, Coach. Unless you had anything else you wanted to, to touch on. No, I just, uh, once again, I really appreciate you, you covering us. I'd uh, love, love to give a shout-out to my coaching staff and administration here as well. We wouldn't be successful without an amazing support. Uh, you know, Jay Wilkinson, who's our photographer, also works for the National FC. He just makes us, if you get a chance to look at our Twitter, uh, at CPA Alliance Soccer, like he does university-level stuff for us, and it makes us feel really special. And our administration is so supportive. So we're really looking forward to a game tonight. If you're free... Uh, it's at 5 o'clock here at CPA. Uh, we'd love to have uh, as many fans as we can. If you can't make it, it's broadcasting on the NFHS network. Uh, so, you know, hey, go Lions. All right, big game tonight for, for CPA against BGA, a state title rematch. And, Coach, we uh, we thank you for joining the show a few hours before that, and, uh, and good luck tonight. Russell, thank you very much. All right, that's been CPA co- girls soccer coach Thomas Gerlach. Big thanks to him for joining the show today. All right, let's make some football predictions for this week. Good things have been hard to find in 2020, but so far my picks have bucked the trend. Like I said at the top, I'm 22-7 and this year. Went 8-2 and last week, and we're looking to keep that going. Week 4 brings a lot of good matchups. Um, several of these are going to be closely contested, I think. So I did the best I could, and we'll see how it shakes out. First up is the game of the week, Innsworth at CPA. I will be there this Friday at the Lion's Den. I think this has a chance to be a really good game that could go either way. CPA won in in big fashion last year, 42-10, but the circumstances are a lot different this time. The Tigers are actually making their season debut after sitting out the first three weeks, while CPA's already got a couple of wins. Also, when CPA played Innsworth last uh, year, early in the season, they were a very different team than they are now, and they're a very different team even to how they ended last season as the the runner-up, the state runner-up. Uh, so CPA has got a good quarterback in Cade Law, and they scored a lot of points last week in a route of Bartlett, and their defense is led by linebacker Langston Patterson, who's been equally impressive, and the defense has only allowed like 23 points a game. 
Ainsworth has a couple of big big college prospects in Ohio State commitment Andre Turrentine and Memphis commitment Bryce Edmondson, but they're still adapting to a new starter at quarterback, so I'm going CPA 26, Ainsworth 24. Then we've got Hendersonville at Beach, which is going to be the Battle of Drake's Battle for Drake's Creek. Um, the Hendersonville Standard, one of our newspapers, is sponsoring that trophy, and it will be handed to the winner of this crosstown matchup. Hendersonville has the lead all time, 22-16, since these teams started playing in the 80s, but Beach has won three of the last four, and I expect that trend to continue this year. Uh, Beach has a really good tailback that we've talked about before in Tyshawn Jefferson. He's got nearly 400 yards and seven rushing touchdowns through the first three games. And I think if he can have a big night against a Hendersonville defense that only allowed uh, six rushing yards to station camp last week, I think the Bucks can pull this one out. I'm going Beach 21, Hendersonville 17. Henry County at Brentwood. This is another interesting matchup. Um, these teams used to be in the same region a few years ago. And they actually met again last year, and it was a really good game. Henry County ended up winning 21-14 uh, with a one-yard touchdown run in the fourth quarter. Uh, but I really like the Brentwood offense. I think they've got a great connection be- between quarterback Kate Granzow and Tennessee commit Walker Merrill at wide receiver. So they can put up some points pretty quickly. And uh, if they can find a way to, sh- to slow Henry County's rushing offense, which is averaging um, close to 180 yards per game, I think they can get back at Henry County for last year. Uh, So I'm going Brentwood 24, Henry County 17. Father Ryan at JP2 is our next one, and Father Ryan is another team that's entering the fray this week after sitting out the first three weeks. They've got a senior quarterback in D.C. Tabscott who's going to Appalachian State. Um, He threw for 1,500 yards and 17 touchdowns last season, and he could be primed for a a big year this year as a senior. Uh, But JP2 is off to a really good start thanks to senior running back Antoine Roberts. He's already got 10 touchdowns. Um, and, the, and the Knights picked up a really impressive victory at Briarcrest Christian last week. Um, and this Friday they have a chance to keep the the Bishop's Cup for the fifth straight season, and I think they're going to do that. I've got JP2 38, Father Ryan 24. Oakland at Stewart's Creek. Now Oakland is probably one of the best teams in the, in the state, and now they've got Brentwood Academy transfer Jordan James at running back and Innsworth transfer Isaiah Horton at wide receiver. Um, and those two combined for three touchdowns and a big win over Siegel last week. And, um, I mean, th- that duo has, has made the Patriots even better than they were and even more dangerous than they were before. So Stewart's Creek is going to have their hands full here. I know Stewart's Creek um, was able to get Ben Caudill his, his first win as the Red Hawk head coach last week. They destroyed Clarksville. But um, I think finding that same level of success against Oakland is going to be really hard. So I'm going Oakland 40, Stewart's Creek 10. Then we've got Mount Juliet at Gallatin. Uh, Both teams are undefeated right now. Mount Juliet at 2-0 and Gallatin at 3-0. Gallatin has so far outscored its opponents 112-20, but those teams are Lebanon, Station Camp, and Green Hill, who are a combined 0-7. But the Green Wave have really looked impressive in those three wins, and I think they found a good quarterback in senior Mason Stanley. He's already got eight touchdowns in his first three starts. Um, So I I, I like... the start that Gallatin has. Uh, Mount Juliet has also had a good start um, thanks to their rushing attack, and I think that's going to be a big challenge for Gallatin's defense. Um, they've got two tailbacks in Conlon Baggett and Cameron Malone that um, can rush for a bunch of yards, and they found the end zone a couple of times um, last week in a, a big win over Lebanon. But um, the Wave Yard is just such a tough place to play. Gallatin doesn't lose at home a whole lot, 
So I'm going for the upset here, and I'm taking Gallatin, uh, 30 to 24 over Mount Juliet. Franklin at Summit. I think this is another game that has upset potential. Uh, Franklin quarterback Connor Beaven uh, and Carson Repass. They had a, a nice connection last week that I got to see in person. Uh, three touchdowns against, against Ravenwood. But the problem is their defense has allowed 72 points over the last two weeks, and they were really carved up by Ravenwood dual threat um, Trevor Andrews. And they're facing potentially an even better dual threat quarterback this week in Destin Wade um, from Summit. He's already got over 500 yards passing, nearly 400 yards rushing, and 12 total touchdowns through three games. And he's got some other offensive weapons to help him out while his brother is um, still nursing a foot injury for at least a few more weeks and he hasn't played. That's Keaton Wade. Um, I do think if Franklin can find a way to at least limit Destin Wade, um, and if their offense keeps up that same pace that they showed in the second half against Ravenwood, they've got a chance here. But um, with me, with already taking one other upset in, in the game before, uh, Gallison over Mount Juliet, I'm playing it safe here. I'm going Summit 35, Franklin 28. Next up is an all-Rutherford County battle, Smyrna at Riverdale. Um, Riverdale has a couple good running backs, Brandon Connard and Marcus Lloyd, and they each rushed for over 100 yards last week in a 21-6 win against Cookville, an important region win there. And their quarterback, Jamison Holcomb, has also settled into the starting quarterback role, and he's led them to -to back-to-back wins. Smyrna got a COVID win last week, um, and they beat up on kind of an impotent uh, Centennial squad the week before. I like the promise that the Bulldogs have in, in a young quarterback, Landon Miller, but I think Riverdale's tough defensive front is going to be really tough to overcome. They've already got 21 tackles for a loss and five sacks, and so I'm going Ravenwood 28, Smyrna 10. Page at Lipscomb Academy is our next matchup we have featured. Uh, Lipscomb Academy is in its second season under Trent Dilfer, and they fell behind Brentwood Academy and JP2 early, um, and they've lost both those games. They do have a quarterback in Luther Richardson that's thrown for 400 yards and five touchdowns and leads what could be a really dynamic Lipscomb offense, um, especially against Page, which is still working to find its identity after graduating nearly its entire starting lineup on both sides of the ball. So I like the Mustangs in, in a big way here. I'm going Lipscomb Academy 35, page 7. And to wrap it up with our 10th and final matchup, Marshall County at Shelbyville. Now, neither of these teams appear to quite be what they were last year, or at least not yet. Uh, Marshall County is trying to replace a bunch of key pieces on offense, and Shelbyville is adapting to its new coach, Justin Palmer. Um, Shelbyville has won back-to-back games over Columbia Academy and Page after they uh, suffered a pretty big season-opening defeat at Tullahoma. And ironically, Marshall County is also coming off a big loss to Tullahoma last week. Um, But with all that said, I think the Golden Eagles have been the better side so far, so I'm going Shelbyville 26, Marshall County 16. Be sure to return to MainStreetPreps.com on Saturday to see how these picks shaked out. Uh, We'll have all the results and recaps and everything that you need um, to both prepare for high school football on Friday, but then also to recap it on Saturday. So um, go ahead and head over to MainStreetPreps.com and also sign up for our email newsletter. It's free. Um, We just need your name, email address, and zip code, and we'll be able to get all the top headlines to you, uh, to your inbox, Tuesday through Saturday. So thanks for joining us today, and we look forward to seeing you back next week for another episode of the Main Street Preps podcast.